Hey everyone, John here. Just a quick word of warning. Uh, we will be spoiling this film in its entirety, so if you have not seen this film and you don't want it spoiled for you, uh, just hit pause real quick and go and watch the movie and then come back and enjoy the show. I'm gonna, I'm gonna level with you. We can't get married at all. Why not? Well, in the first place, I'm not a natural blonde. Doesn't matter. I smoke. I smoke all the time. I don't care. Well, I have a terrible past. For three years now, I've been living with a saxophone player. I forgive you. I can never have children. We can adopt some. But you don't understand, Osgood. Uh, I'm a man. Well, nobody's perfect. Hey everyone, welcome to Surviving Chick Flicks, round two, I'm John, I'm Sammy, and I'm Joseph, I think, and I'm continuing the tradition where we get to an episode in February, and the the recording, or lack thereof, fucks us over. Hey, but you know what, this This time time we we caught ourselves early enough that we're actually going to record the episode, so we're making progress, folks. Yeah, we're like the little engine that could. We think we can. <laughs> we All might right. be wrong. Well, this week we are traveling back in time to an era of film that Sammy just loves, the black and white era. And we are talking about an actual classic. Like, whenever I say the classic, it actually applies this week. Uh, but this week, I picked, I did. <laughs> I made them watch a movie about gender bending and murder and musical numbers called some like it hot all right or as joseph calls it thursday no i'm gonna go more with like wednesday but what no okay look you do your schedule i do mine okay Uh, okay okay all right so let's pause i feel like you uh, both have something to tell me yeah you you're you have friday saturday and sunday available (laughs) (laughs) We called the midweek a long time ago. <laughs> All right. So on that note, let's play the trailer. And then um, we'll get into all sorts of things this week. since Scarface, so much action. Not since the Marx Brothers, so much comedy. Not since the seven-year itch, so much Maryland. The best picture this year will also be the funniest. Good night, sugar. Good night, honey. There's one thing sure, boy never met girl like this before. You've never laughed more at sex or a picture about it. You 
stay here as long as you like. Jack may have beaten Tony to the sugar, but not for long. You're not giving yourself a chance. Don't fight it. Hear Marilyn sing the fabulous songs of the Roaring Twenties on the United Artists Soundtrack Album. Wild, lost control, running wild, mighty bold, feeling gay, reckless too, carefree mind all the time, never blue, always going, don't know where, always showing, I don't care, don't love nobody. It's not worthwhile All alone Running wild All right, Some Like It Hot starring Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, Jack Lemmon, George Raft, Pat O'Brien, Joey Brown, Nehemiah Persoff, Joan Shonley, Billy Gray, George Stone, and directed by Billy Wilder. Just for shits and giggles, like we always do, Sammy, Joseph, when was the first time you saw this movie? Joseph, go for it. Uh, just this weekend, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Sammy, were you on the... It can be a little more precise about an hour and a half-ish ago. Hmm. Good. Good to know we all prepare early. <laughs> hey, you know what? I took significant notes. I did a oh, good, good job. Yeah. So I've I've just determined from the sh- on the show from now on, I'm gonna rely on memory. <laughs> you know, I've considered it because sometimes I feel like the note taking gets in the way of yeah. me like really watching and enjoying the film. On mm. the other hand, I will forget stuff and not mention it if I don't write it <laughs> down. So there's also that. This is fair. All right. So this film came out in 1959. So I did not uh, see this in theaters. I'm old, but I'm not that old. But I'm ching. Uh, but I actually saw this movie back in college. Uh, my One of my U.S. history classes, um, for some reason, the teacher, which was a cool teacher, and she and I bonded over a Mel Brooks film that I was alone in the classroom of even heart hearing of, let alone, you know, <laughs> seeing. But she um, she she showed this to us uh, whenever we were getting into the 20th century, talking about prohib- prohibition and uh, the crash and leading into the gangster era of uh, American history. And um, she showed us this movie. And I don't know. How much of the rest of the class sat and paid attention, but I love this movie from the day I saw it to to possibly now. We don't know till we get to the end of this episode. Wahaha! But this has always been just one of those movies that, even though it's you know much older than me, I still think it you know is just as funny as the first time I saw it, and like the, a lot of the humor still holds up, and some of the humor does not. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to we'll get to uh, we'll get what to... did not age well. <laughs> this this is one of those movies where the answer to that question is quite a bit of it, but you know. Weirdly enough, um, if you want to go back in the way in the uh, wayback machine with me to last week, whenever I went on this long-winded rant about uh, the MPAA and the Hayes Code, this movie that we are reviewing this week is one of the ones that is cited for the death of the Hayes Code because uh, this film was released without their approval. And it was a giant smash, a critical and box office success. And um, it showed that audiences were getting a little bit more lenient with the kind of content they wanted to see. Like, particularly, you know, men and women's clothing. Well, I wanted to kind of ask about that um, and get get y'all's take. Because there, okay, so... I was thinking about the way that they did it and having the guys essentially dressed and dressed as women and playing women. Um, if that was something that at the time would have been seen as risque or were audiences more accepting of it because it wasn't necessarily uncommon for men to play female roles in theater when women were not allowed to or was there enough of a time period gap between when that was common and when this came out that it was it was viewed in an entirely different light okay um i'll go in historical order uh there was a time where uh the women folk were not allowed to do the theater and then we allowed that and then um america got super puritanical about shit and created things like the Hayes code and so, and all right, so we need to address that this film is a remake. Um, there was a 1935 version that was from Germany, there was a 1951 that was also from Germany. They, uh, they were called like Fan of oh, Fanfare of Love. So, what happened in Europe is they were a little bit more permissive, and in fact, when the quote unquote European films came out, a lot of and so with those of them being a little bit more popular, so, you know, Hollywood got a little bit more permissive because the times were changing. Not by much, but, I mean, they were a little bit changing. And also, while this, this is about men and women, I mean, men in women's clothing, for the most part, it's, there's enough of it that a super conservative household back then probably would have viewed this like the way we show girl we we view showgirls but a lot of people would be like well it's done for the joke and whenever it's wrapped up in you're humor, kidding I'm people not. really would have compared this with showgirls you have to remember we're talking about in the 50s this is a period of time whenever we wouldn't let people of two different races drink from the same water fountain so yeah, yeah they're gonna I, have a I little it. It just, bit of a problem with it it's hard to think about that in today's terms. Yeah. Well, and that, wasn't this still a kind of a time period where uh, any time you saw a couple in bed, they were in separate beds because it was yeah. too risky mm-hmm. to have them in bed together, even though they're married? Yeah. I mean, um, I guess that's true. That's, yeah. 
it wasn't much later, um, like it was in the seventies when they allowed they were finally allowed to say that someone was pregnant on TV because um, Allie McGraw back whenever she was married to Koki McSnortfuck that was Robert Evans, um, she was pregnant and she had to ask a TV host if it was okay that she said that on television. So I mean, really, the end of the sixties and into the 1970s is whenever the inmates started controlling the asylum. And so a whole lot more stuff got permissive. I mean, uh, there's a Jack Nicholson film called the last detail that uses the word fuck like 40 times. And someone at the studio was saying, why do you need some, you know, was trying to take out about half of those because they felt it was unnecessary and offensive. (laughs) <laughs> now you have about four. Okay, this is just like a up. sidebar. Mm-hmm. But if anybody's wondering, or if there are people out there that are familiar with the show Spring Awakening and are appalled by the content, this is why that show exists. Yeah. Also, this may blow your mind, but in most places, whenever it comes to theater, a whole lot more was allowed and was accepted. That doesn't shock me. <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not, I mean, which is odd if you think about it, because theater is a whole lot more intimate. So when things are done on a stage, as an audience member, there is a higher level of discomfort than when you see it on the screen. Yeah. Very, and uh, I would love to have been a fly on the wall for the first uh, production of uh, Hairspray. I mean, not Hairspray, Hair, of Hair. Because <laughs> um, that would have been an awakening for quite a few people. <laughs> you know, to be honest, um, mm-hmm. probably both of those shows were fairly controversial. No, by the time Hairspray came out, uh, okay, sidebar about Hairspray, when that movie, when the original movie came out, um, John Waters, man who created it, director of Sammy's favorite film, Polyester, um, uh, he was he was surprised that that movie got a PG rating and that um, he thought he would never work again. And then it became a hit. The movie, the original film, was a hit in the eighties. So, oh, it, okay. Well, I guess that may, given the yeah. time period, that makes more sense. Yeah, and it didn't become a musical until like the two thousands. So, okay. So it wasn't that shocking. You know, things John Waters was doing slightly before ha- Hairspray were a little shocking. Not so much this. All right. Point made, counselor. (laughs) So, and also it's kind of sad. And I like, it's kind of, it was cool for me to read on the production because I knew this was a remake. And this is one of those films that um, snarky people who like to talk about movies online, not at all me, uh, will point to whenever someone says remakes are terrible and they're acting like they're this new concept ruining Hollywood when, and, some Like It Hot and Heat are my go-tos because this is like the third version of this particular story. And it went on to inspire three more remakes, including a, um, a Bollywood version, a Greek version, and the White Chicks. We let the Wayans brothers touch this material. You know, Which I haven't seen to compare it. You've never seen um, Uh-uh. I'm going to go ahead and say this now, and yes, I'm a little biased, but this is better than White Chicks. 
However I, however I feel, however I end up feeling about this at the end of the episode, this is a much better version than White Chicks because at no point was anyone in, with the last name of Wayans involved with this. Hey. That, now, that being said, White Chicks is probably one of the better Wayans Brothers films. Yeah, I'm just going to have to go out on a limb and defend them because I do, I do have a love for them. I I like them as well, but they're not as good as they used to be. <laughs> Some of us didn't think they were that great to begin with. <laughs> I will see you. I'm going to get and you. And some started. of us are wrong. <laughs> okay, defend Little Man. I can't defend that one. I, I wasn't talking it, so to I you. I can't defend it. <laughs> defend the Beverly Hills Cop knockoff that was a low down, dirty shame. Once again, see answer A. Basically, the great things that the Wayans did were a black exploitation uh, satire called "I'm Gonna Get You, Sucker," in living color, major pain, and and a distant fourth white chicks. Did you never see his television show? No. Oh, oh, see, that's where I know him from, and it was a good show. I actually really enjoyed wait, it. And wait, then... wait, you, when you say him, are you talking about the Damon. two Wayans? Okay, we don't count. Right, Damon is a Wayans brother, but he's not one of the Wayans brothers. That's Marlon, and what's the other one's name, Joseph? Okay, so are you saying he's the better Wayans brother? Yes. Okay. All right. That's fine. he. Okay. I will accept that answer. Okay. Just just to save myself in this moment where I'm drowning, Damon had a show on ABC and another show on Fox. The Wayans brothers had a show on UPN. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't want to play favorites here. <laughs> and Damon's son went on to be uh, fabulous in TV. Like I I've liked pretty much. Yeah, I, he, I've only seen him in a couple things, but I've liked everything I've mm-hmm. seen him in. Yeah, and he doesn't get really get lumped in with them much, uh, if at all, because the heyday of you know. The one weigh-in directing the other two weigh-ins and whatever horrible thing that they conned a studio into giving them money for. I like one and two. <laughs> two is a lot funnier than one, but... I'll, but fortunately, I'll none of them were in this film. No, we have good actors here and Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> hey, you know... Okay. This no. is, okay, I have to say this. Marilyn, this is my first ever Marilyn Monroe film. This is also my first Marilyn Monroe film. And to be honest, before you defend her, let me make the point where, as I think she's great in this role, uh, Billy Wilder, the director here uh, of this film, uh, wanted to murder her after doing 59 takes of a three-word sentence. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Mar- um, Jack Lemon later in life came to Marilyn's defense. And in fact, if you were to ask either Tony Curtis or Jack Lemmon when he was alive about this film, they are always going to give Marilyn Monroe props. Uh, Jack Good for them. And Jack Lemmon said, Marilyn knew she had limited range, but she was going to give it an all. Like, Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon had fantastic things to say about working with Marilyn. Billy Wilder, however, probably wanted her dead. <laughs> Because, and literally, there were so many takes where it would be like she would have things taped, written on boards. Billy Wilder just yelling at her between takes to say, since it's like, 
where's the whiskey or where's the burn, whatever the line was supposed to be. And she couldn't get it. You know what? We're going to come back to that because it actually makes one of the things I liked about this film that mm. much more impressive, yeah. given that she had that barrier. Mm-hmm. And um, before this, you know, Billy wanted her in this film. And um, she actually had a thing in her contract that said all of her films were supposed to be in color. And he actually convinced her to let him shoot it in black and white. Part of which is because the makeup that poor uh, Curtis and Lemon uh, were uh, wearing made their face have a slight green tint. So in color, that would have looked terrible. Yeah. Might also explain why their makeup got progressively worse as the film went on. And they they looked less and less like women. Yeah. Uh, which I mean, that might have been intentional, and it was mm-hmm. kind of funny. So, yeah. <laughs> so when we were talking in the, the pre-show, as I'm going to call it, and not the first version of this story, uh, story, how did y'all feel the way this movie opened? I thought I watched the wrong movie. I thought I was like, did I pick the right one? Because <laughs> there's like there was car chases. Like, wait a minute, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I had no expectations because I had no idea what this film was about. So I I don't know. I, I, it didn't really, it didn't exactly catch me off guard or anything. Yeah. Well, it's like whenever you see the cover of it, you know, you see these two men dressed as women and Marilyn Monroe, you're thinking wild, you know, kind of sexcapade kind of comedy. And it opens up. It's like, why why is the mob here? What's going on? Um, yeah, I mean, it was, I, I guess when I turned it on, I wasn't initially paying attention right away. So, um, I, and that may have had something to do with the fact that I could not follow what was happening until they made the decision that they needed to pretend to be women. And that's sort of where I, I started paying attention. Yeah. Uh, it took me a little bit now that I was like, okay, I get it now. But like, yeah. seriously, it was just like. Wait a minute. I didn't realize this was a movie about the mafia. <laughs> yeah. Well, well I mean, it is. is this and, but it is and it isn't. Like, the very first part of it and the very last of it, it deals with the mafia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have to say, the very beginning, that was some impressive stunt work. It, it was. And now, a lot of it is green screen. But, I mean, some of it, you know. But, I mean, it looks fantastic. You know, this is yeah, one of the say, better... It, that that's some of the that's some really good car chase sequences that I mm-hmm. saw. I was just like, wow, that's this was in '59. Oh, yeah, wow. details or backstory or exposition, which I mean, I sometimes I think it's called for, so sometimes I think it's it's lacking. I don't actually think it was lacking in this film. I mean, no. I don't I don't think it was necessary. Well, and you can do exposition well, and then you can do what they did in Bad Boys. And like, remember that time ten years ago when you had a drinking problem and you were a prostitute? Like, is there not a natural way of saying this? But also, by this point, movies were about 60, 65 years old. And so, you know, they weren't that incredibly far removed from seeing something like The Great Train Robbery whenever the train is coming towards the screen. And audiences thought a train was literally about to run them over. So, I mean, so I think because this was sort of, this was like sort of in that gap between radio being the dominant um, everyday entertainment for people and television, 
I think back then, whenever audiences went to a movie, they did something that uh, is, you know, becoming a lost art form. They paid attention. <laughs> it's like sometimes the answers you seek are in the movie. You just have to, you know. You mean watch. they were smart? Yeah. Okay, so um, can we talk? So I want to talk about the leads really quick, starting with uh, Marilyn. Okay. I've always heard this about her, but it was really interesting to actually see one of her films and what she looked like. Because you kind of like, you get a lot of caricatures of her without actually really seeing what she looked like. And she really was the, that, I mean, okay, if she existed now, Mm -hmm. I think that she would be the poster child for body positivity. I mean, she was... I think, I don't know, there there was something really great to see about mm-hmm. a woman in that era that wasn't built like mm-hmm. a Barbie doll. Yeah, well, and back then, hers was the quote-unquote ideal body. Yeah, that's like, that was the ideal body. Yeah, and then somewhere in the 60s, 70s, skinnier, you know, and then heroin chic in the 90s. I think now she would definitely be a poster child for body positivity. Ten years ago, um, and well, in hell, let's just be honest, even now, things like National Enquirer would be like Marilyn letting herself go. No, oh, they yeah. absolutely would. And the thing is, she's she was fabulous. She was gorgeous. Didn't she have a reputation in the public eye for being like a just a bimbo or something like that. Cause I remember that conversation. Happened. Yes, she did. And it actually kind of hurt her in the way that, um, the, uh, the head of 20th century Fox, she told she wanted to play a character in an adaptation of brothers. Camera. However, the hell you say that book's name. Uh, and they basically laughed at her. Like she got stereotyped into playing the bimbo and the, you know, the, into, into playing sugar cane because that's, all audiences thought she was capable, you know, some people thought she was capable of. And she honestly wanted to do more. And I think in the hands of the right director, possibly a very patient one, so not Billy <laughs> Wilder. Um, and I'm going to I'm gonna pay Billy Wilder a lot of compliments later. <laughs> it's just, right now I'm just going to be honest and say, he was, he was not very patient. Uh, but I think in the hands of the right director, she would have probably been able to stretch a little bit more. Well, I still think he got, I still think he got a fairly decent result. Like, I mean, it it may not have been perfect, but, and and this is crazy for me saying this too, because I'm not a big fan of overacting or a lot of the type of acting that they did in that era, which I think honestly is, is just a remnant of the fact that they were more used to the stage. And so they, there wasn't this break that you see now between Actors have really learned how to adapt to film. Yeah. Well, and also they were probably about 30 years separated from the silent era because, you know, this movie made maybe about 30, uh, about, I think this is about, I think this film is taking place in the era of the jazz singer, which the less said about that movie, the better, but (laughs) it was, it was ushering a whole new era. And if, for more on this, see 
singing in the rain, which um, I haven't told Sammy, but thank you. You got me that for Christmas or birthday or whatever that was. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, but I mean, they still, I still think he got a good, like, uh, you know, her comedic timing was fair. It, it's kind of tough. And, and to be honest, like, who she was working with, they lifted her up a lot. Like, I, I think they did. Sorry. A, a fair amount of the heavy lifting where that was concerned, but also sort of the script. Yes. And also, I took a shot at her just because of the reputations that she had during the making of this film. But, and we're going to get to this later, she is not the worst performance in this film by a long, long shot. <laughs> We will come I can to take, this I can later. Take a, I can take a stab at who I think it is, but... Um, it's not a big part, but there is a glaringly terrible uh, performance in this movie where I'm like, where I was watching it on the, re- on the rewatch and the rewatch that um, earlier today, where I'm like, you did 59 takes with Marilyn and you didn't do a second one with this guy? <laughs> so just, just putting that out there. <laughs> Speaking of Marilyn's co-stars, Tony Curtis was kind of a stud. Like was uh, I think he's still alive today. He's and I think not. He still he's not. Oh, he's, he's not. not. I can't. Okay. But not. But not. I mean, I I would say it was anyways because I would assume that at mm. his the current age he would be. I would not necessarily consider him that anymore. But um, there is there was um there's a special feature on the DVD uh, that I was watching before we started the call um, where he's talking to Leonard Malton about this and I'm like wait did did Ray Liotta now come to do this with old Leonard Malton (laughs) he looks like what Ray Liotta looks like now but only if current Ray Liotta had let himself go (laughs) oh no like he was great in this film. Mm-hmm. He, you know, whatever reputation he may have, he actually talked very fondly about being in this movie and how he drew inspiration from his mother and so many women to take on the role, the role of that da- of uh, of jo- of he's um, not Josephine. Josephine. No, he he is Josephine. Yeah, he was Josephine. Yeah, I, and also, I love the fact that he essentially plays three characters in this movie, because yeah, all three are distinct. And yeah, one of I, them... I didn't realize one of them was him until I was like, holy shit, that was him. I didn't realize that. He yeah. did a phenomenal <laughs> job of, like, really... And which mm-hmm. I... Like, I, I've been very, very critical of pre-1970s film, especially where acting is concerned, mm-hmm. because I just... I have an issue with the stylization of it, but Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon did a really good job in this they film. Did. They I, did. I, I'm with you on that one, Sammy, because it's not, it's very apparent in like a lot of John Wayne movies. <laughs> well, their their style of acting <laughs> is yelling at the other person. And I'm like, oh, I can't do this. Okay. See, I see most of the hold on. I see most of the acting from a pre 1970 era film. The way that that John is going to talk about what I assume I also consider to be the worst performance in this film. Maybe we'll we'll get there. But okay. In def- 
Here's a sentence I never thought I'd have to say, but in defense of John Wayne and the actors of that era, number one, and, and this is also true of today, you have actors and you have movie stars. John Wayne is a movie star. He is not an actor. True. Um, Marilyn Monroe, I'm going to call her a movie star. She was not... Now, and I am also basing this on the fact that this is really the only Marilyn Monroe film I have seen to date, and I feel I do need to... Correct that. Um, well, no, I mean, she's got a brief appearance in All About Eve, but I would still not consider that a Marilyn Monroe movie. It's just a movie that she happened to be in. Tony, but Jack Lemon is an actor because, you know, we know from, Jesus, uh, six decades of performances from that man, of what he's capable of. And also, he and Tony Curtis are the guys that would have come from the stage. John Wayne never did no theater. Yeah. yeah, and um, you can definitely like. There's a little bit of that type of acting in this movie. Yeah, but it's it's a very apparent in other movies that are really not don't have really good seasoned actors. Yeah, and also guys like Wayne. Just because he's a movie star doesn't mean he wasn't on occasion capable of delivering a, a good performance. Go back and watch uh, what is my favorite western, a movie called uh, The Man Who shot Liberty Valance, which has Wayne having circles acted around him by James Stewart and Lee Marvin. Okay, I'm actually going to go out on a limb here because this is a theory I'm starting to develop, and I kind of want to put this theory to the test. Okay. Okay? So I have a very, very, very limited, extremely limited um, experience with Honestly, not even just pre-1970, really pre-1980 film. I have mm-hmm. a very limited repertoire. However, from what I've seen, it appears that they had a better handle on comedy and how to adapt comedy from the stage to film, how to make it, um, how to do it well, how to make mm-hmm. it, um, I'm searching for the word, but how to, I, how to make it words are difficult today guys i um, no, i understand <laughs> i basically how to make it something that is translates today as well as it would have back then i guess that's the yeah. best as i guess that's the best way no, something that aged something that aged well i don't feel like they did it as well with drama um I, I would say it, it always just depends on the film and what they were trying to do because I can guarantee you there are some films from back in the day that um, are just as dated as some of the stuff that's come out in the last 30 years for us that is not going to age well or in the case of like Soul Man was never good from the, <laughs> from the, from the, from the beginning. I, I, think, I think it's just like anything. It depends on what the film is because there are films that I will praise all day long for certain reasons. And then those certain reasons are the same reason I will hate another film. Good example of this for you is rocket man versus Bohemian Rhapsody. I get what you mean because they both take liberties with, what do you mean specifically? Okay. Bohemian Rhapsody and I, I do acknowledge I am biased on this because um, I had read a bio of Freddie Mercury right before I saw the movie, so I was seeing all the flaws. But Rocket Man was sold as 
this is going to tell Elton John's story, but we're not. This is okay. It can, it basically comes down to the taglines for uh, the films. Is like you know, um, Queen is based on a true story, or like Bohemia Rhapsody was based on a true story. Whereas Rocket Man, it told me in the trailer based on a true fantasy, where it was it was telling me right away we're going to take liberties with this and. It felt like a Broadway show come to life, whereas Queen's biopic was standard. And also, I was mad at Queen's biopic because uh, Brian Singer. <clears throat> yeah. But, but with the exception of the Live Aid sequence, you've got an easier time getting me to watch Rocket Man than Bohemian Rhapsody because one of those films, and, and both of those films are not 100% uh, accurate to what actually happened. But it, the presentation of Rocket Man went down so much better than what Bohemian Rhapsody did. Like to me, Bohemian Rhapsody should should have been the godfather of rock musicals, and instead, it was the godfather three of rock musicals. Oh, by the way, okay. So since you mentioned Godfather, I wanted to say this earlier in our first version that we're calling the pre-show. When John made that statement about how, you know, pretty much all movies are fair game for remakes, I was mm -hmm. going to say, Joseph, we've got this recorded, so we will replay this for John when they remake The Godfather and see what his opinion is. However, we do not have it recorded. Thank you, John. This is true. Okay, but we have this recorded now, and we're going to have this recorded. Okay. Blumhouse, Blumhouse Productions is getting ready to do a remake of The Exorcist. Are they really? Yes. And it's going to be a new trilogy of films. I am nervous about it, but I'm also like, if they do a fantastic job, it's like um, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. I love the George Romero version of Dawn of the Dead, and I think it's one of the, like, the quintessential great zombie film. Well, that and the original Night of the Living Dead. But... I think Zack Snyder did an absolute fantastic version, and that is what has gotten me into the mindset of at least give it a chance. So if someone was going to say, hey, we're going to redo The Godfather, and I'm, I'm just going to be like, okay, you just better be bringing your A-game. And it's, when it's one of those things. Okay, that... well, I mean, I guess that's fair. And I was going to ask you, what do you think would end up being better? a remake of The Exorcist or a remake of The Godfather, because I would argue that they could do a better job recreating The Exorcist than they could The Godfather. I I kind of agree with you, um, just because The Godfather was created uh, by a series of madmen, um, one of whom didn't even see this as a movie about the mob. He was He was trying to do King Lear. Whereas someone now is going to try to turn The Godfather into Goodfellas, which it's not. It, yeah, it's a family drama. Yeah. Whereas The Exorcist, it's like we can tell the same story. And because, I mean, and because Friedkin had so many gaps in the timeline of what was happening to Reagan, there is the potential that someone could make a more cohesive like story out of that and it'd be just as good if not better at the same time i am going to probably unfairly judge either version against the original because that just comes with the territory but if it ends up being better i will 
agree with that. Like, I don't think Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead is better than Romero's. I actually think it's on par, and that's just me. Well, so. I'm just going to go on record here and say that I'm adamantly opposed to any remake of the Titanic, barring them bringing back Leonardo DiCaprio and um, him living. Um, not that is gonna the happen. only accept that is the only acceptable way that a remake of Titanic happens. No, the only way uh, that uh, the ti- Titanic remake happens is if someone gives James Cameron a shitload of money to stay away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I just that's like yeah. In general, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think pretty much all movies are fair game, and they can mm-hmm. be redone well. That is just one of those films to me. I don't think could ever be remade well, and I and I kind of I kind of put like Jurassic Park, oddly enough, on the same level as that. And the reason being is I think um, what what you're missing, what you cannot recreate, is what those films meant culturally at the time they were released. I a hundred percent agree with you. Although it would be kind of interesting if someone like Netflix or you know like one of the cable channels because uh, AMC is getting ready to do a, a, a mini series about the making of the Godfather. Oh, cool. And, Which yeah, I'm interested in. I am too. Um, but if like AMC did a version of Jurassic Park, that was the novel because the okay. novel is pretty different. And also the snarky film person in me is also like, well, even if they did do a remake of The Godfather of the Exorcist, technically they're not remakes. Remakes they are at new adaptations of the book. So, well, that's fair. Just, just but remember, I, I, I can be much more insufferable. <laughs> I do think, see, and I do think, like, if they did something like that, like mm-hmm. made us made a series, or if AMC did something different, like closer to the book, then you yeah. walk in the line of it's not exactly a remake because yeah. you're not trying mm-hmm. to. Once again, it's not like A Star is Born or Footloose where they went and said, hey, we're going to remake the same movie um, just with new actors. And, and, and I don't say that to knock anything because the new mm-hmm. Star is Born is just fabulous. I actually, I actually am a fan of the new Footloose. Not everybody liked it, but there are things I like about the new and the old one. Mm-hmm. So they, they both, for me, yeah. that's one that just depends on the mood. But both of those were, even though they were... Um, well, I don't know so much as Stars Born, but even though the foot like Footloose was considered mm-hmm. a classic and, and kind of had um, some cultural significance, I do think that it was a type of movie that had the potential to be well done as a remake. Yeah. yeah. And um, you know, also you gotta remember that was the fourth version of a Star is Born with with Lady Gaga. Oh, right. Yeah. Um and then I uh, had a point and I was going to lose and I lost it. So it was going to be a really snarky comment. So <laughs> probably best we just move, move on. <laughs> One of the things I like about Some Like It Hot, you know, the movie that we're reviewing <laughs> that we hadn't talked about in about 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> I love how once they are in Florida and they are dressed as women, the sexism that they are, you know, Facing and you know the getting you know pinched by Osgood or hit on by the creepy bellboy. 
<laughs> it was almost like subconsciously in that era, people were aware that that kind of shit was wrong. Yeah, and, and also how how it really hasn't changed. <laughs> <laughs> but really. you know what I kind of found funny, and I I think. I think that once they got to Florida, it became even more apparent is how many times in this film it is so unbelievable that they were not caught doing stupid shit. Like when yeah. they were when they were on the train and they were all drinking and they fit like 10 women inside that one little bunk and they're all right. incredibly loud. And then whoever it well, was, their coach or whoever comes from around the corner at the end, like they wouldn't have heard them. Right. And also and also, I'm not saying this to be crude. I'm just saying this is the truth. There are so many times Jack Lemon was surrounded by women and he didn't have a heart on and it wasn't showing. I'm pretty sure they weren't oh tucking my God. back then. Thank you. I, I'm so glad that I'm not the only one who was thinking that. Yeah. In particular, in the scene where Sugar climbs into his bed with him. That right. was the first thing I started thinking about. I was like, oh, my God, how is he not going to get caught? Yeah. Well, and also, I think if the roles were reversed, Tony Curtis could... I think Lemon was just so happy and free as a woman in this movie <laughs> that it never occurred to him <laughs> to have a hard-on because, you know, he's the one that isn't pursuing Marilyn Monroe. He is the one getting chased by Osgood, the millionaire. Yeah, but you know what? I think I felt like it was kind of a missed opportunity because it was sort I thought it was sort of funny because when when they first had that discussion, the impression was he was going to hit on her. Mm-hmm. And then she gets into the bed with him, and I was just kind of waiting for it to happen and for him to have to hide it. Like it was what I was saying about and then I didn't yeah. I didn't realize that Tony Curtis was going to be the love interest, yeah. which I really liked that I thought that was a nice mm-hmm. twist. Well, and also, I think a hard-on joke in 1959 is not going to fly. If this movie was made in 1999, <laughs> it would be hard, hard-on jokes a, bi- a billion. Uh, yeah, you would, you would be able to stop them. You would lost count. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then the other time is when I mean, okay, so they did have to wear, they did have to wear like fuller bathing suits that pretty much covered everything. But mm-hmm. I did think about it in that scene where they all went out to the where they all went out to the ocean. I'm like, seriously, um, there's no way he's built like a man. So funny thing, I'm, I've got the movie playing, and this that's the scene that's playing right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which not is to also... get like too technical or crass with it, but did they mm-hmm. shave? Like, I mean, I just at some point I um, was expecting for somebody to notice something that was so distinctly male. Yeah. Well, there there is a line whenever um, Tony Curtis uh, calls the after the after escaping the mob hit, uh, which was you know basically a recreation sort of of the St. Valentine's Day massacre. That part was was essentially ripped from the headlines. Um, whenever they uh, got to, whenever he was making that call to get them the gig, he was telling Jack Lemon, "No, we're going to shave. You're going to shave your legs." So there is a drop line. Also, just because they have hairy legs does not make them less feminine. No, yes, that's true. <laughs> so, but also, so, sorry, I, I just had I, well, to. I don't know. Twenty twenty two. It might, have, it might have been more common back then, actually. Like, no, I, if I, had um, guess, I, I could be one hundred percent incorrect. I don't actually know. So around, I believe it's. Uh, 
if anyone listening to the show wants to correct me on this, that would be fantastic. But I think around the 20s is when things like shaving your body hair for women became the norm. Okay. Yeah. So whenever you watch like a Western and uh, you see a woman with, uh, you know, smooth armpits and smooth legs, <laughs> that ain't true. <laughs> She would be just as hairy and racism racist as the men. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's the changing of the times. And now we're we're not necessarily going back, but we're making it okay that if a woman chooses to not shave, that doesn't make her less of a woman. Well, right. And not to, like, make light of it, but I also feel like the French have known that for years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe. I, I will... Uh, refer to you this to this great documentary called Home Alone where this is addressed. <laughs> oh, um, I think this is the first movie I've seen Jack Lemon in where he wasn't an elderly man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm used to seeing him in like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah. Uh, grumpy old man in here the, he, other movies. Here he was gay young man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm you should I'm not used to seeing oh. him as a younger actor. Mm. Uh, if you, if you, I don't know if you survived this movie or not. I'm leaning towards that you probably did. But if you like this, I do recommend watching a lot of his uh, '60s era stuff, especially a lot of the stuff he did with Billy Wilder. You know, movies like The Apartment and Irma LaDuce and um, you know, just a lot of stuff from that era because it, it is so cool seeing some of these people that like, you and me would have seen. And they're a senior citizen, seeing them back whenever they were young. And hey, let was... me ask you a question because of something you just said. Mm-hmm. Was his character gay? I uh, I kind of want to get into that when to what happens next. Okay. Because I have theories, <laughs> but the scene on the beach is where we also meet um, Tony Curtis's less convincing <laughs> alter ego. Shell Oil Jr. <laughs> I have to say, that character annoyed me. <laughs> you want to know where the voice came from? Where? He was doing an impression of Cary Grant. <laughs> <laughs> and Cary Grant saw the film, and he's like, I don't like this at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, he, uh, but, you know, Josephine is not too far removed from Joseph. It's just, you know, he's speaking in a higher tone. There, he really has to present himself as a different person. Yeah, more so because you know it's one thing to impersonate a woman, and you know get in the band because you don't want to be murdered, and you know convince Sugar that you're a woman, but now you got to convince her you're a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, I think that's oh, right. Part. Yeah, <laughs> oh, which by the way, all of this is not okay. <laughs> just like just saying like to pretend you're something that you're not is not okay. Which which we're gonna get to her reaction to that later. <laughs> yeah. We can get into it now because I mean, she. Let's let's just be honest. She was a little too cool with this. Like, uh, okay, so this is not a criticism of the film necessarily. I mean, a little bit it is, but I kind of, I kind of thought oddly enough it worked. And normally, I would have been very critical of the fact Mm -hmm. that I don't know. Okay, you could probably tell me this. This might have been pre the typical romantic comedy trope because this wasn't really a romantic comedy it was just a comedy with a romantic element to it 
Mm-hmm. But um, and murder. You know, romantic comedies have that whole they they have that um, not not a trope, but they have a they have a formula they follow. They have the new yeah. cute. They have them falling in love. They have a fallout, and then they have the reconciliation. And most of the time, where people will be extremely critical is if mm-hmm. either the fallout doesn't it's not severe enough, it's not realistic enough, it doesn't make sense, or the reconciliation comes too quick. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it doesn't feel earned. It, it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work. The, the, I think that this would be a criticism that this film had because they put no effort into it. From the time she finds out he's actually a man, which I don't know if in her brain she actually made the connection that he was the captain. I mean, I, I think that's the, or the yacht owner. I think that's kind of yeah. the idea, but it was like immediate. She found out he was a man, and then I, she's just cool with it. All right, so let's do the let's do them both right now. I think that in the case of him, she realized that she wasn't looking because she was always looking for a millionaire with glasses, and she just fi- finally found the right guy. And I'm going to put that also on Daphne. <laughs> I to answer your question from just a moment ago. I think he, I don't know if he was necessarily gay at the beginning of the film or, oh, I'm going to re, I'm going to redo that sentence. Uh, he might've been closeted uh, or he might be bi, but I think that his excitement about Osgood, uh, who we need to talk about Osgood, he went from annoyed at him to super into him, into the idea of getting married. <laughs> Pretty quickly, and granted, granted, he was kind of still being a con artist because he was talking about I'm going to tell him at the at the just after the ceremony, and we're going to get an an annulment, and then I'm going to you know get my alimony checks. He was still thinking like a con artist, where I think by the end he maybe just kind of accepting, and I kind of like that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's completely possible. I don't. I, that's not how I read it. But I think it could have been... I I think it's just left up to the interpretation of the audience. Yeah, I think so. Also, um, we need to talk about Osgood. He is so... In 2022, he is so problematic. But he's also (laughs) so adorable at times because he is just... Okay, I I I just made a connection to a movie that we've reviewed. Brokeback Mountain. Um... Ennis was not gay. He was just in love with Jack, and Jack's gender was re- irrelevant. I feel the same way with Osgood. He's not gay. He's just in love with Jack Lemon. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of fair. I honestly, yeah. I hate, I hated this character. I hated it. He annoyed <laughs> the crap out of me from moment one. But he's supposed to. He is supposed to be annoying. Well, I, yeah, he did a great job of it. Yeah, he did a great job of it. Like the, whenever he called to invite her to uh, invite her out. Every time he laughed, I was like, oh, yeah. please quit laughing. Yeah. Don't which, laugh ever since. Which, by the way, the scene where they, um, where Jack Lemon is excited about the engagement, they actually had to refilm that scene. And they had to slow it down because in a test screening, it was getting so many laughs, so much of the dialogue was getting missed because it was super important. So they had to redo that scene over. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why the maracas bit was added. 
Uh, that makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. Also, so I'm. Oh, go ahead. Uh, also, this movie had a disastrous first screening. Like people were, were walking out, and Jack Lemmon got super nervous and uh, asked Billy Wilder, "Like, um, like, what are you going to do about this?" And he's like, "And, and um, I can't do a German accent, so just imagine I am." He was just like, "I'm not doing anything," <laughs> and uh, he's like, "I don't." worry about you know a first screening and then he took it to i think somewhere in california somewhere in hollywood and did a second screening and it killed it got standing ovations so Hmm. so listen out there directors you don't have to accept the first test screening oh sometimes it's oh go ahead oh sometimes that's true it's just movies that just come out people just don't watch them and then they come back out on Mm -hmm. on home video or whatever or streaming and they're like oh wait what when the hell did this movie come out? It's great. Yeah. And everybody starts yeah. loving it. Yeah. Okay, also, so... I think... Oh. No, go for it. Also, I think the only person that can uh, listen to a test screening audience and actually still continue to knock it out of the park is Tom Cruise because uh, there was supposed to be a romance in Jack Reacher and uh, the <laughs> test audiences hated it. So he's like, all right, that romance is gone. <laughs> Tom, Tom Cruise works harder for your entertainment dollar than any other actor. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna die in every movie. He's gonna die to fucking prove that. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm really anxious to know your answer to our mm-hmm. first segment question. So, do y'all have anything else before we move into those segments? I think we can go forward. Yeah. Okay. So this is kind of a brand. <clears throat> This is a brand new or a almost brand new segment that we have. And if this is your first episode, interesting choice. Um, no, I'm 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 uh, I'm okay with this one being <laughs> the first for someone. But we do have a few segments. We've added a few, taken away a few. Um, but our new and one so- that I think is going to be kind of a regular is the Bechdel test. It <laughs> is, and uh, I should have pulled that up earlier. <laughs> But I pulled it up right now, and according to Bechdel, Bechdel test movie list, this movie passes the Bechdel test. Oh, wow. And I was going to yep. ask, I mean, does it, in, or are you counting the conversations between Jerry and Joe as conversations between two women? Because you really can't. Um, I'm not counting this. I'm going on what is online. Um, the commenters say the, which character... Oh, Let's see. Um, after Daphne invites Sugar to have a drink in his birth, Sugar and some of the other female bandmates, at least four of whom have names, discuss bringing in party supplies and snacks. Um, well. So, because remember, if this is your first time uh, hearing about the Bechdel test, it is a test that is super easy to pass. Um, it's uh, it passes A film passes the Bechdel test if it... If a movie has at least two named female characters, they talk to each other, and it's about something other than a man. So even if it's brief, it passes, which is why people are discuss- called the Beck Belt test a good start to the conversation. <laughs> but yeah, um, th- this one passed. Uh, we we do need to uh, start <laughs> trying to figure that out on ones where I can't get the answer. But, but just remember, Fifty Shades passed. Also, uh, uh, real quick, this is going to be one of those things I do because, you know, 
Bill Simmons does it. Why can't we? Roger Ebert gave us four stars. Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, I don't know if he was a critic whenever. I don't think he was a critic whenever this film came out. But this is an entry in one of uh, his The Great Movies collections. So I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so our next segment, I guess, in no particular order, because I'm also really curious about this, is the Does John Like the Soundtrack? (laughs) Okay, this is just going to be John being honest. I love old movies. Uh, There's something about the style and the the rhythm and and the acting that sometimes drives you nuts. It gives me, like, a sense of comfort. So I don't, so I actually really like watching older films. Um, I'm going to be completely honest. In a film that's not a musical, and sometimes even when the film is a musical, I don't give a shit about <laughs> the music in older films. Citizen Kane has a music number, and it's funny, but don't give a shit. I, do I give a shit about any of the songs in here? No. Um, didn't go look up the soundtrack. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying the definitive answer for this week is John didn't give a shit. <laughs> Nice. The, Just the music, being honest. The music is like secondary to almost everything else in the movie. Um, I I don't even know if it's that high. I think it's just, you know it's like did John care about the gunplay in this movie? Yeah, it was about as uh, important as the mob was to this film. Well, well, here, here's the thing: the mob is a little bit more important <laughs> because it's the inciting incident that you know gets them. To you know where they go. Also, we should add another new segment, um, which is: uh, Did this movie make John's top one hundred list? So, oh, that's it. a good idea. Okay. Yeah, and the answer is yes. Number twenty nine, sandwiched in between Ingmar Bergman's Winterlight and Martin Scorsese's The King of Comedy. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's one better than the Joker prequel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. We're actually going to revisit this in a moment when we get mm-hmm. to the um, whether or not we survived. Okay, so I guess we move into our next segment, which okay. is the best line, worst line. Actually, we, ha- we have one um, before that, and it's the uh, You Can't Handle the Truth Award for Oh, right. We have so one in- of those this week. Sorry, yeah, this we- is not a... This is not one we do every time, so. No, this is a this is whenever uh, there is a line in the film that is so incredibly iconic that none of us can pick it for our best line, and uh, the final line of this film, nobody's perfect. <laughs> Which oh, need to revisit, Sa- Sammy. Do you, I asked you last week? Do you think this has one of the greatest end moments in film history? Yes. Not the, not, I was going to say not the greatest, but one of the great. Yes. I, I so agree. <laughs> I actually think it was perfect. Um, there are two moments in this movie that there are some reactions that I'm like, was that even the line in the script because of the reaction? <laughs> and And one of them has to be a line in the script because it involves a character's name. But... Just the way Jack Lemon looks at the, whenever Nassau says nobody's perfect, he's just like it goes from defeat to acceptance pretty quickly, in, in my opinion. But the other moment is whenever uh, they're introducing to themselves, and instead of saying Geraldine, he goes, Jack Lemon says Daphne, which is why I think the man, the man is okay with it at the end of the film because. 
He's thought about this. <laughs> Alrighty, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you have any worse lines, but let's start off with best lines. Oh, jeez, Joseph, why don't you go? <laughs> uh, I have a couple, and mine are from Sugar, actually. Uh, I like the one where she said, "Story of my life." I always get the fuzzy end of the lollipop. <laughs> okay, okay, so. I did have a worse line. That was it because I got super annoyed at the whole fuzzy lollipop thing. I, I just thought it was pretty funny to me. I mean, it's a cute line. I get it, but I, I was just kind of like, okay, if I have to have a worse line, you know. And I can't remember exactly how it went, but it's whenever they catch her, they first meet her and she's drinking. Mm-hmm. But I don't want you to think I have a drinking problem. I can drink any, uh, stop drinking anytime I want to. I just don't want to. I, I I almost went with that one. Um, this movie has so many great lines for me, but the one I picked, and I don't know why, I just really like this line. It's at the beginning of the film, whenever the, uh, he's talking about all the things that they could hawk and talking about the saxophone and the bass, and he, Jack Lemon says, "We're up the creek, and you want to hawk the paddle." <laughs> okay, so, I actually ha- I actually have a couple. Um, so one of my favorites was actually a uh, sugar line. It's when they first meet her and she goes, I don't want you to think I'm a drinker. I can stop anytime. Only I don't want to. Or she, no, she says, yeah. I can stop anytime I want. Only I don't want to. And, That's what yeah. And then my other one was at the very end. It was also a sugar line where she jumps on the boat and she goes, I told you I'm not very bright. <laughs> I just, yeah. I, I love her and I sort of feel like that sums up her character. It really kind of does. I also uh, like the line whenever they're getting on the bus and uh, Sweet Sue says, we're going to have to tell the other girls to watch their language. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's not necessarily a line. It's just, but whenever uh, Sugar drops the flask and the way that uh, Daphne covers for her and saying it was hers, I just love that whole little exchange. Mm -hmm. Do I want to address the performance in Worst Line or things I dislike? What, what do you think we should do? Okay, let me do my worst line first, just in case. I don't know if it'll segue into mm-hmm. what you have to talk about, because I, I narrowed it down to a particular line. And I really want to tag this, not so much that it was a poorly written line. It's but a poorly it delivered one? No, not even poorly delivered. It oh. didn't age well. Oh, and okay. that's where, that's where um, Josephine and Daphne are in the room. And he goes... And he's talking about how he got engaged and he's all excited. And he goes, why would you want to marry a guy? I was just thinking, or why would a guy, why would a guy want to marry a guy? And I was just Mm -hmm. thinking that and the whole conversation that followed did not age well. It doesn't age well. Um, I remember listening to um, a podcast about this movie ages ago and it kind of struck up the conversation now of, oh, in that era, you couldn't do this. So No, I, I will say this. Yeah. None of it. I don't actually hold it against the film in any mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. And in a way, in an odd way, it's kind of, I don't want to say good that it's there, but it's realistic that it's there. <clears throat> because it is extremely yeah. indicative of the era the film was made mm-hmm. in. So Yeah. So, bouncing off of that... Um, so we have a tendency now to label a lot of older films problematic. And yes, they are. But I love the way that TCM handled that. Um, also, if you are triggered by a, um, 
television network not changing a frame of the film but adding a small little paragraph at the beginning of your uh, the movie to say hey this the following thing has some scenes and attitudes in it that would not that are not okay today but we're preserving some from historical context if that bothers you you're the snowflake now that i've said that um I, but i love how tcm will take some of these quote unquote pro- problematic films not change anything but things like gone with the wind psycho um just you know probably a film like this and they have a discussion about the content that today would not fly at all but back then it was in a different context it's and didn't necessarily make it okay or you know you know less problematic but it's a good conversation thing and so that's why i kind of like it because god knows i love talking about movies so you know to add one more thing that we can talk about is just good for me and so so lines like you know you can't why would you want to marry a man or however the line went it doesn't bother me because i realize this is 1959 and that's this is a 1959 attitude so in 2022 I would be okay with that line also if this movie was taking place at the same time because it's historical. It's kind of like why Tarantino can get away with the use of the N-word in his films because the people that he are writing, it's either accurate to the time period or let's just not forget the fact that Tarantino doesn't always write films about good people. You're not supposed to (laughs) like or idolize these people. Right. the only one you're probably allowed to be okay, kind of okay with in Reservoir Dogs is Mr. Orange. Uh, <laughs> you know, in, in Pulp Fiction, pretty much no one. Uh, Jackie yeah, Brown, and that's, I mean, honestly, the fact yes. that I chose this line is really more indicative of the quality of the writing. Because I mm-hmm. really didn't have anything I picked because I thought it was a bad line. Um, yeah. It was more of a... It stuck out to me because it was something that I thought, unless you were making a film, like you said, set in the 1960s, that is not an attitude or Mm-mm. a line that you could put in a film today. Well, I think you could. And even in a 2022 film set in 2022, as long as the person is saying that line is a bigot and you're indicating this character is a bigot. I don't have a problem with problematic language as long as you're, you know, putting it in the mouth of someone that is the asshole in the movie. Okay, so yeah. what? So is your worst line? It it's not actually a line; it's more of a performance. It is. It is a performance, and I'll do my best to recreate it because I didn't write the line down. No spats, please don't. No spats, no. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that part. Yeah, fifty nine takes with Marilyn Monroe. How many did that guy get? <laughs> Not many. Yeah, I, I mean, it almost makes me wonder if that was shot at the end and Marilyn had wrapped so that. And at that point, Billy was just like, "Fuck it, he, he <laughs> fuck it, I'm done." You get one take. Like some angry German man, you'll have one take. <laughs> Whenever I was doing the rewatch and that line happened, and I'm just like, "Oh, that's." takes out like a sore thumb. Alrighty, so I guess this moves us on to our second to last segment, the good, bad, and the ugly. So, Joseph, why don't we start with you? Uh, let's see. What the? Do we just want to do me just saying what's the good, or do you want me to do all of it? Well, do all of it. Oh, do, do all of it. it. Uh, yeah. We're switching it up, is, folks. 
the good is like I, I thought everybody, especially Jack Lemon and the uh, I don't and who's the one that played Tony Curtis. Tony Curtis, their chemistry was really good. Mm-hmm. Was on point, and even whenever that they're playing in their different roles, that's they they are on point with everything on that. I even thought Marilyn Monroe was really good with them. They had, she had a good chemistry with all of them. I really liked how they all mm-hmm. played. I don't really have anything all that bad. It's like they're like I said, there's a couple actors that are just like, yeah, they could have done better on that. I really did get annoyed by his, uh, Tony Curtis's other character. It, uh. it really annoyed me. <laughs> <laughs> So some of the things he was saying, I was like, "Oh, this is obvious. He's just trying to get in her pants." <laughs> yeah, and that's that's kind of the comedy of it. I mean, uh, oh yeah. Whenever whenever he's just saying that he's been you know damaged by so many women, he's just like, like yeah. "Just does nothing for me, darling. Total wash." <laughs> but like, it's like, I don't really have much bad to say about it because it's it's really well done. Even though there are some there are some jokes in there that don't quite age that well, of course. But you have to kind of watch it for the time it came out in. But I said, I don't really have anything that bad to say about it, but, uh, and really nothing ugly to say about it either. It, it, he said, it's a, it's a really good movie that I wish I would have seen earlier. Well, you know, we all get to films you know, when we get to them. It's not a, sure. it's not a race. And yes, you should have. <laughs> <laughs> Just the fact that I showed you Brief Encounter before this movie. Which another fantastic movie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, another one of those censor, <laughs> <laughs> you know, irritating movies. And like, they showed a, an emotional affair. We're banning this in Ireland. <laughs> oh, okay. Doesn't that happen yeah. like every day? We don't like it. <laughs> hey, we're not just showing the divorce. I apologize to Ireland. I apologize to Germany. <laughs> <laughs> and to our listeners. Yeah, they kind of knew what they were getting into. <laughs> All right, what about you, John? So a lot of this is mo- going to be moments. Um, I, I, I obviously one of my favorite uh, scenes that we kind of touched on, but we didn't really, you know, go into great detail about is this is the scene that they had. Well, we did go into great detail with the so the scene they had to reshoot because uh, Daphne got married. I love that scene and just. Jack Lemon's just pure delight in that moment, even if he's, you know, delighted for, you know, less than honorable reasons, because he is trying to deceive a millionaire. Um, I I love the mob subplot in this movie, um, which, you know, is overshadowed by the other part, but I mean, it's necessary. Like, I kind of like that, you know, it touched on his, you know, history by kind of doing its take on St. Valentine's Day Massacre and also touching on Prohibition. And then, um, th- you know, this movie is way more violent than people might re- realize. I mean, it's not like blood and guts because it's 1959. And then, you know, I kind of agree with y'all about Marilyn Monroe and the chemistry with everyone here. Like, everyone's top-notch. And even if they're an annoying character like Osgood, you know, they have great... Uh, the scene where Osgood and uh, Daphne are dancing together... And the rose switches from one mouth to the other. That's just fucking hilarious. <laughs> and also kind of sweet a, l- a little bit. That's what I got. As for things I don't like, I'm just going to stick with, no, spats, no, please, <laughs> don't, no. Ah. <laughs> 59 takes. That's <laughs> all um, I got. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, much kind of general stuff. Like, the acting was better than I expected. Most, most 
most of that was carried by, um, you know. Lemon and Curtis? Yes. Um, thank you. Most of that was carried by Lemon and Curtis, but it was it was better than I expected. It was funnier than I expected. But what I really, really loved was the chemistry between Tony Curtis and Marilyn Monroe. And really, she had phenomenal chemistry with both of them. But mm-hmm. him in particular, and to circle back to what you said earlier in the show, I think that that makes... I think her having to do so many takes and her struggling... Mm-hmm. Um, makes the fact that they had that level of chemistry so much more impressive. And there was just like this, I don't know, there was this weird kind of subtext. I sort of felt like you could see that they, and I don't know like what, because I don't know if we know as much about what was going on behind the scenes at that time as we do about films now because we're obsessed with it. But um, no, it seems uh, as... to me like they were taking care of her. Yeah. Uh, and also, someone who um, has more than a slight passing interest in film history, there's a lot of information about what was going on <laughs> behind <laughs> the scenes. It's just that involves a whole lot more research than I had the time and energy to do. <laughs> but because um, around this time, I know she was Monroe was married to Arthur Miller, the playwright who did The Crucible, mm-hmm. um, and you know her public persona. And Billy Wilder, Billy Wilder is a great director. I mean, movies like The Apartment and Sunset Boulevard, um, he's made undisputed classics. But, you know, it never reached the levels of like, you know, Kubrick torturing uh, Shelley Duvall on The Shining to get a performance. But, that was a moment of a director not handling things well with a, you know, a star. And in the end, 59 takes, this movie's almost perfect. So in, in my opinion, so I'm not okay with, you know, him getting pissed off at her, but I, I kind of understand at the same time. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. There, re- there was just this sense, which you don't always see that Lemon and Curtis were kind of, that they sort of took care of Marilyn and that they, um, and maybe that took a little extra work on their part. I don't know, mm-hmm. but, uh, the, the end result was good and mm-hmm. they had good chemistry, which I kind of feel like built the movie and yeah. it was anyway, that's what I liked about it. As I, far as I, what I didn't, there's nothing in particular that I would change. It did have a little bit of that, rhythm that comes with older film that I'm not a fan of but it wasn't too bad and it wasn't it didn't I didn't notice it so much you hear that Joseph we're breaking her down (laughs) (laughs) it only took how many episodes (sighs) I I stopped counting I just know on the schedule we know when we get to 100 (laughs) yes we do yes we do because we're going to do Sammy's favorite film so Yep, Tammy and the T-Rex 2, T-Rex Harder. I'm not even going to dignify that with a response. As you shouldn't. <laughs> All right, are we ready to answer the big question? Yep. All right, it's uh, your film, John, so I'm going to let you take it away. Okay, Sammy, Josephine, did you <laughs> did you survive something like it hot? Let's go with Joseph. Uh, yeah, I survived this movie. This I can see why this movie has been a classic and has remained a classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's still 
for the most part holds up and it's a really good piece of cinema history it's because well, I think this is the first Marilyn Monroe movie I've seen because mm-hmm. I've only seen her sing Happy Birthday to John F. Kennedy <laughs> and you've it. only seen that because I keep sending it to you on your birthday <laughs> That's very true, and I'm yeah. <laughs> not never gonna happen. <laughs> no, but seriously, I can see why she got as big as she did with, especially with just this one role I've seen. She had a makings of a movie star, and it was she was. Yeah, well, and by this point, she was a movie star. Well, yeah, I'm just saying I can see why, especially just by seeing this one movie why she was where she was at in her career. Yeah. Uh, like you said, even though she didn't probably have the best range, she just had that natural draw to her. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's everybody was really good in it. Like there was some impressive stunt work at the very beginning of this movie. I was just like, I was not expecting to see like almost like grade a stunt work in a movie that I had no idea had any mafia dealings in it whatsoever. <laughs> oh, and the whole shootout scene at the very beginning, that was pretty violent for 1959. <laughs> but yeah, I, right. I survived it. I thought it was really good. Good. Sammy? Okay, I want to I caveat this by saying it's no secret on this podcast that I'm not a fan of older films. And by older films, I mean... Keep in the keep in context. I'm not trying to age myself, but keep in context. I was born in some part of the '90s. I'm not going to specify which part. I was born. I was born in the '90s, and so basically, to me, anything 1970s and on is is not necessarily old, right? It's only to me, 1970s still only like 20 years old. Thank you. Right. Well, I mean, I that, but that's our perception, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. to me, none of that, none of that film is really old. Everything pre nineteen seventies, however, I have a different feeling about. And I and I do. I I'm not. I don't have a ton of experience and not anywhere close to John's level of knowledge about film history. But I do feel like there was a little bit of a turn in how film was made in the nineteen seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, not massively, and obviously it continues to develop, but um, anyways, we've watched, I think, one other pre-1970s film. Um, I, I know we did, I know we did um, Whatever Baby Happened Jane. to Baby Jane. If we did one earlier than that, I don't... I don't think oh, so. God, I don't remember. I mean... I mean, Wanda was like the beginning of the 70s, but. Which I did not happen to survive, unfortunately, because it had. While I watched that film and could very much respect the quality of the film, it just wasn't it just wasn't for me. It had so many of the facets of older films that I just didn't like. So John is currently one for two because I really liked this film. It was, I laughed out loud. I thought it was funny. I'd go as far enough to say I would watch this again. Nice. I would recommend it. I, I don't know. I just, I, I really liked it. And I, I think a lot of that hinged on Tony Curtis and Jack Lemon. I just thought they were really great. Um, 
but I just thought it was a really well done movie. It was funny, and I, I just, I don't know. I think it aged well. Awesome. Um, that does make me want to show you one of my absolute favorite films. But so, yes, I survived. Super... By the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> like that makes me want to show you one of my absolute favorite films, Doctor Strangelove, because. I think you might find that movie funny, but I also think that movie may have a lot of the problems you don't like. <laughs> so it's it's kind of like I want to test the waters. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this should be no surprise, especially if you listen to any part of this episode, especially the part where I said uh, this movie is uh, my number 26 film of all time. I have... Yes, I survived. I've always I've been a fan of this movie since I've seen it. You know, the first since I saw it the first time, and it's not a film I watch very often. But I, and I probably should watch it more. But it every time it is held up incredibly well, um, and you know, this conversation is like made me want to go watch some of the some of the other Marilyn Monroe films and you know revisit some of the early Jack London films. And uh, Tony Curtis is in this film. And, um, well, he's also in Spartacus. Um, he has a, he has a scene in Spartacus that was ripped off in Caligula and it's, and both versions are, are kind of fantastic. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm just so happy y'all both liked and survived this film. Like, um, a lot of times when I'm picking films especially like this, I feel like I know Joseph's going to survive because, you know. I've been torturing him for like the better part of two decades at this point. <laughs> Sammy is sometimes a wild card. <laughs> I say most of the time I'm a wild card. Yeah. Well, and to be fair, whenever you're picking films, so are we because Joseph and I are a little bit closer into you know having the similar taste. And whenever that Venn diagram does uh, circle, and we all genuinely like and respect the film. Uh, because, and by respect, I mean, like you said, there are films that you, like Wanda, you think it's a very well-made film, but it's not one you particularly like. Th- there is a difference. Um, you can, right. you can like a, you can like a film and not survive it and you can survive a film and, you know, you can respect a film and not survive it too. So. Yeah. I mean, like, I just, there, and, and, and this is no a hate to these films. Like, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I know that you like them. Everybody has their guilty pleasures. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference in the not surviving that is Sleepaway Camp and Mortal Kombat and Tammy and the T-Rex and the not surviving that is Wanda and whatever happened yeah. to Baby Jane. Because with right. Wanda and whatever happened to Baby Jane, I can recognize, and when I even think that I can't remember, uh, like polyester, I can recognize that those films are have art, artistic value that they had a mm-hmm. lot of thought that they I can see why critic why critically they might be held in high regard they're just not for me. Sleep right. like Camp and Timmy and the T-Rex are just for special people. But I, I genuinely love Sleepaway Camp, but there are movies like Sleepaway Camp and Tammy and the T-Rex and The Room and Birdemic and whatever that movie was that we watched about the zombie chickens, Joseph. Um, sometimes <laughs> movie, movies like that are just fun to watch with another group of people. And, not, it's not, and you know, like, do I like The Room as a film? 
No. Do I like watching the, the room with other people, especially if one of the per- one of the people in that room has not seen that movie? Oh my god, yes. Because, you know, watching you and some of our other friends react in absolute horror to what you were seeing is part of the charm of of that movie. Showing you something like this, it's that moment in with me where I'm like I think this is an absolute one fantastic piece of art, and I want you to appreciate it on the same level I do, and I'm glad that you did. Baby Jane was a crapshoot. <laughs> well, okay, so actually, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what brought this back to my mind, but I do have to go back to something you were talking about earlier to tell you what my thoughts on this film were. Um, when we did Mortal Kombat, we had John Lit. Now he didn't do this on the episode. This was uh, pre-show while we were watching the film. But he listed off his top 100 films, and I gave him a lot of flack about where where a few good men landed, and then where he put some other films like Bound. And granted, it's it's. it's I also told you he gets to do whatever he wants with it, yeah. and I am not judging. However, and I I and real quick, I also told you that. Basically, after film number 20, I can make a case for every single film from 21 to 100 being ranked 21. So This is, this is true. When I, when I originally did that list, 21 through 100 was in alphabetical order. Oh. So whenever I would show it to people, it would be like, why is this movie ahead of that movie? I'm like, because that's how the alphabet works. <laughs> um, but, however, when you told me where this movie ranked... Um, mm-hmm. Which, bear in mind, it does fall under 21, so it was really, you know, in that yeah. category. But um, I can understand that. Like, I can understand this film's ranking. I almost re-ranked uh, A Few Good Men to be just under uh, Bound, but I feel if you, I had actually done that and you found out, you would have come for me because you knew it was personal. <laughs> I I would have had Aaron Sorkin on my side. Yeah, well... Aaron's not. I I don't know. All right. What? All right. Whenever one of us becomes rich and famous, we're gonna ask Aaron his his opinion on Bound, and he'll probably go, "What's Bound? I'm watching Sports Center." Uh, I can assure you, he's gonna say, "I don't know, but it's not a better movie than Few Good Men." I, you know, I, I it's a fifty fifty shot either way. I don't know if he's in love with his uh, his works like Kanye. Or, you know, if he's like any other writer and he's just like, anything I did, anything anybody did is better than what I did. I, <laughs> okay, I don't, so I, <laughs> I don't know what he, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't know, like, I know what kind of writer uh, Aaron Sorkin is, but I don't know what what kind of writer he is in that aspect. I, I, I do have to say that, I mean... This is entirely subjective, and you have to bear in mind that because everybody loves things differently, that on a weekend where I was shown A Few Good Men, Saving Private Ryan, and Heat, A Few Good Men came out on top by probably like a mile in what was a, you could argue, an excellent cinematic weekend. And yeah, I'm not going to lie. Movies were really, really good. I, I personally would put Heat above A Few Good Men, but I can't be mad at that. Saving Private Ryan is good, but there's a little bit of too much schmaltz in it at times. And that's just about taste, too. Like, 
I and and that comes down to like Saving Private Ryan is a great movie, but mm-hmm. of those three films, A Few Good Men is the only one that I think is a fantastic film. And also, I could literally turn it on at any time, at any point in the movie, and watch it. Well, and you see, that's how I feel about both A Few Good Men and Heat. Yeah, Heat is it's 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 a good movie. It just it just didn't do it for me. I, I also understand why some people have a problem with heat because it is three hours and you know, the, in, the introduction of this random guy that's uh, gotten out of prison and is a cook doesn't pay off until like two hours later. But, <laughs> but, and I, and also there is some slight overacting by a certain actor of us, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, I'm not going to name names, uh, but he had a big ass. And you got your head all the way up it. <laughs> no, wait. Great ass. That's what it was. It's, I, was I, I wasn't going to correct you, but yeah, the line is, she's got a great ass. I take that to mean it was big. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it was great, but it was huge. So there's a tremendous sense of value. <laughs> that was a joke for Joseph and <laughs> anyone that has seen black books, but you got it. <laughs> Okay, so I'm not sure why we're doing this. After the Mortal Kombat Annihilation incident, we're letting somebody, Joseph pick another, another film. John, allow <laughs> Joseph to pick another film. Um, because that's the way the schedule worked. <laughs> but we're actually introducing another, like, you know, how we have another special episode is what I'm trying to say. Words are hard, like Sandy once said in this episode. But um, in addition to Manly Movie of the Month, we're doing an- another um, special episode a month. And this is inspired by our friends Brianna, Amanda, and Novelly, who we watched not know anything about football, and they watched their first Super Bowl. As far as I know, it's their first Super Bowl. And uh, I believe we had a conversation. We should do surviving sports flicks. So that's what we're going to start and uh, Joseph, after his first uh, film pick of the year, decided to do a ripping line of cocaine. And we are kicking this off with the gladiator metaphor posing as the NFL, Oliver Stone, cocaine binge that is any given Sunday, which is perfect because next week's the Super Bowl. <laughs> Love how we time that, which means the the episode <laughs> that was by pure coming, coincidence. The evi- the episode is going to be uh, recorded the night after the Super Bowl. Yes, yes, I believe we did agree to that when we planned the schedule. <laughs> I, I'm really kind of looking forward to this because um, I believe this is either going to be the continuation or the end of my weird obsession with Oliver Stone that I that came back this year. So. It, it's been a while since I've seen this movie, and it, I remember liking it. It is. Um, all right, so I sometimes refer to um, Oliver Stone's movies by the, the batshit thing he's doing. Like, JFK is his batshit conspiracy theory movie, and The Doors is his batshit rock star movie, and this is his batshit sports movie. So I cannot wait. Um it's anyone. It's anyone's guess how Sammy's going to feel about this. <laughs> I, well, yeah. it's a movie about football, so yeah. you, have, you have an advantage. 
You're starting off on the right foot. Yeah. It's, it's However, uh... Joseph picked it. So we're just going to see how it goes. Hey, my first pick this this year, you loved. Oh, that is true. That is fair. That is fair. That's very fair. That's a great movie. But I didn't, and I drastically just went way down in the dirt and said, hey, let's do more. You know what the problem was? You set the bar too high with the first one that you picked. I did. Yeah, it being a film that was completed and watchable. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I told y'all this is this is that was the only movie that I knew was complete garbage and I was just like this is gonna be fun. It's a movie that made her say nice things about Tammy and the T Rex. I know, well she knows that's gonna be a good time after that. <laughs> <laughs> but the rest of the movies I picked I actually think are legitimately good movies. I I do think Any Given Sunday is a good movie. It's just I haven't seen it in a while. I hope I still think that one after I've watched it. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen it in a few years, but I can say it's just as Bat shit as it was when I saw it in, in uh, 2000. And also, I have another uh, horrifying college story that is attached to this movie. <laughs> so, now that uh, we have uh, praised the older film and set up the cocaine nightmare that happens next week, uh, does anybody have anything they want to shout out? Not this week. I feel oh, like you no, had I, a shout out like two I weeks ago and you've like kept, kept pushing it. Yeah, I did, but um, there, there's something I'm waiting on before I, I feel like I can actually make that shout-out. So, sorry. Oh, okay. Back. But I do have one shout-out to Tom Brady's career <laughs> since he retired this week. It's been an emotional time. For, it's been an for... emotional week, but I'm still here. Yeah, Joseph, how are you? Uh, how are you doing now that Tom Brady is not gonna gonna toss it to football no more? You know. Oh wait, uh, wait. How does how does our friend Zach say it? He's gonna he's not yeeting the ball down the field anymore. <laughs> oh, I thought it was gonna affect me a lot, but it's it's just like it was whenever before I even knew he was about to retire. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. <laughs> it's like it's absolute. <laughs> hey, I have a magazine with it, with that man's face on it for you. <laughs> you do well see last week sammy issued me a challenge because uh the last two episodes i've been uh finding these different artists on tiktok and shouting them out and just by absolute pure coincidence it they were both um pop punk you know kind of emo bands so she issued me a challenge and i wonder if she remembers what it was i do all right. I challenged you to find a country music artist. <laughs> and I came back and was like, I got three. <laughs> and instead of um, two of them, um, one of them is purely for comedy, and one of them, and then another of them is very comedic, but he's also super political. And then another one was just straight up country. So that's the one I'm going with this week. But I'm gonna shout out the band Pawns or Kings. They're um, and uh, their singer uh, does a co- really cool series on TikTok called You Don't Hate Country Music. And it's oh, basically cool. breaking down that what you have a problem is with is the, for lack of a better term, the pop music with a twang that is country radio. Now, a lot of people don't like that. I'm not the biggest particular fan of that. And I know people that are. Um, and at this point, I'm going to say Rolling Stone Country, 
did a uh, breakdown of the top six uh, country songs of the year uh, back in 2013, and then how they were basically the same song. <laughs> so, um, and people that were country fans in the 70s and 80s looked down on country in the 90s, even though country in the 90s has held up much better than some of the stuff that I personally think is happening now. We're going to see what happens in 20 years whenever they're inducting Kane Brown into the Grand Old Opry. That's God not, help. yeah, that's yeah, it's like, not God who help I would us. hold up as the epitome of today's country music. No. Well, I was going to say, at that point, the Grand Old Opry has become like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> but uh, do check out Ponzer Kings. They have, um, they have an album from back in 2013 called Palm de Terre. It's... Um, it's good, but um, I would definitely check out if you're especially into traditional country music, into folk, Americana, um, Southern Gothic, uh, which is kind of a term he's been throwing around. Uh, check out their singles that have been coming out in the last couple of years. They don't have a full length recent, and more recent than 2013, but a lot of their stuff is just so good and like highly recommended. So if you like stuff like the heavier country-leaning stuff that uh, Jason Isbell and uh, Sturgill Simpsons do, or stuff like uh, Coulter Wall, stuff like he's doing, I, I definitely uh, I will be like, definitely check this out. You will like it. And also, Sammy, if you like uh, stuff that sounds like old Waylon Jennings, definitely check out Coulter Wall. Uh, he's from Canada, but dude, he, is, uh, he is one of the best. Okay. Yeah, like high, high, high recommend for him, and uh, and for Ponds and Kings as well. All right, all right. So we've covered everything: men and women's clothing, uh, censorship, murder. This is this is like a this is like a Stefan club, but and but uh, Joseph, Sammy, uh, thank you for uh, finding out what some some like it hot was all about, and listeners. Uh, Definitely give us a shout out, and uh, next week uh, we're gonna yeet the we're gonna yeet the Oliver Stone down the <laughs> down the field, <laughs> and just and uh, just like in the, this movie said, uh, if you have a problem with our opinions, n- nobody's perfect. Surviving Chick Flicks is brought to you by the Circle of Jug. The show is edited by John and. All clips used are the property of their copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And leave us a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get the show. If there's anything you would like us to cover on the show or just drop us a line at survivingchickflicks at gmail.com. The show is copyright 2022. Circle of Jug Productions, all rights reserved. My name is Josephine. I'm Daphne. Mm-hmm.